Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Jesse Craig. Jesse and I got talking about PWCC and the hobby. And uh, Jesse, you're welcome to come back on and duel me with some questions, but this was just an opportunity to catch up on uh, what's going on at PWCC. They've had some uh, changes. Many of those uh, perhaps are for the better. They're certainly trying to cater and uh, provide a, a service for collectors that are serious and investors that are serious. So thanks, Jesse. Thanks, PWCC. And thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage, Huggett Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, and CompC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's the rest of the interview with Jesse. And I hope you enjoy. If you want to be interviewed or you have a suggestion for uh, a topic or a person to interview, uh, send them in to Dr. James Beckett at Sports Card Insights. I'm having a good time talking to a wide range of people. Not all are sponsors. Some are other key people in the industry that it's nice to hear from. I'm enjoying getting to know them and I hope you are too. So thanks, Jesse. And thanks, everybody. Here it is. What does your day look like? Are you on the phone a lot? Or are you? Yeah. A lot of phone. I have a sales manager that helps manage our sales team. We have situations where the sales team reaches out to me. A lot of clients still contact me. I used to be the only guy that did this at our company. I started hiring a sales team just about a year ago today. It's been a process, but they're all up and running and doing really well on their own. You mentioned Eric Myers. He's one of my sales guys. Does a great job. And uh, in South Korea too, he's got a great advantage over there. <laughs> We're going to start doing more business with Asia over there. But yeah, my day is a lot of phone, a lot of email. I'm a lot of intercompany communication. I'm on our leadership team, which makes decisions for the companies. There's a lot that goes into it, but it's a good mix. And the phone never stops. I get contacted over Instagram, Facebook, text, phone, email, you name it. Halloween night with my kids, I'm still getting contacted. So it's part of the business. It's part of the job and it doesn't really ever sleep, but uh, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy our clients and, and the industry. It's a lot of fun. What about your own collecting interest? Any history or current uh, interest in cards or memorabilia or sports stuff? Yeah, I used to be a big Tiger Woods collector. I played golf in high school. And so I've always followed Tiger and been a big fan. So that stuff was too cheap. And I do consult and people ask me my opinion on what to invest in. So it was becoming a bit of a conflict of interest, especially I was very open with my clients and told them what I invested in. I bought Tiger Woods and I owned X amount of his SPs and, and whatnot. But I had a few guys reach out to me in the same a record Tiger sale happen. A few guys reached out to me in the same week of my clients trying to buy my Tigers off of me. It just got a little weird. So I decided to liquidate my collection of Tiger cards. I don't own any anymore. But lately... I've noticed that flawless cards are too cheap. I've talked about it for years and I don't feel like they've gone up enough in value. Being a game use product, being a quarter of the price of NT, yet the boxes are more expensive than NT on a box per box basis. I don't quite understand it and why flawless hasn't taken off. I've started buying some cheaper flawless cards myself lately. I don't do hardly any consulting with my clients anymore now that I have a sales team. So the conflict isn't quite there. But once again, here I am on a podcast, I'm being transparent. I have been buying some flawless cards lately because I think long-term, the game used patch versus the player worn or the today, the uh, Dick Sporting Goods, take it off the shelf and cut it up patch. I think the game used patch is going to be a big deal. You know, I had that dilemma of conflict of interest, even mm -hmm. with transparency. When you're doing price guides, it's a little different. It's hard. But what, what I had to be, which is tricky, and uh, you're doing some of this anyway, is being a passive observer mm -hmm. and getting a lot of feedback of what's selling. And you're seeing what's selling. But there's something visceral about when it's your card <laughs> and it sells or you buy it, then you don't need to look at your notes, where you bought it, what you paid for it, sure. who you got it from. And that number is top of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, when people came to work for us, they, they really weren't allowed. They could be a collector, but not a dealer. If they're buying two of something or more, uh, taking a position in something, that's more along the lines of being an investor. I was Roberto Clemente a collector, but then uh, I didn't even buy any Clemente stuff. And I always thought he was undervalued. Still but, is. But the price still guides is. were based on not what they would sell for, but what they did sell for. And so sure. 
one of the, the challenges back in the day is we probably were lagging the market because we were getting reports of what had sold and uh, Clemente just kept selling. When yeah. I was a kid, he was below Aaron and Mays, but Clemente's got a strong following. He does. And actually, that is my favorite autograph in sports. I love Clemente. It's a work of art. It's it is. Art. It looks like it took him 10 minutes to do okay, every single okay, one of them. It took time, right. <laughs> Which I love. And going back to you know your employees not letting them buy cards, what, what I say to my sales guys is as long as they're open and transparent about what they're buying with their clients, so their clients know, hey, if this guy's a big LeBron guy, you know, I have another sales guy, Brock, that does great, and he's a huge LeBron guy. So I love it because whenever we have LeBron cards come up, I just ping him for values, and he knows them off the top of his head. But everybody knows that he's a big LeBron guy, so that's that's fine. And everyone knows Eric Myers is a huge Kobe guy. As long as it's open and upfront with everyone, I think that's the most important thing because I don't want to shelter these guys from not you know, being able to buy what they love and enjoy, but they just got to be open and transparent about it. Transparency is extremely important. But for some people, if you're in a position of influence in the industry, just the fact that you're telling people you're being transparent, still, some people of influence would still have influence on the movement of that. If he likes it, if he's buying it, then maybe I need to get on that bandwagon. So. It's like Kramer and his stocks. He needs to not be public what he would be invested in. And I think they required him to do that at a certain point. Yeah. What about coins or, or other kinds of collectibles? Have you guys thought about expanding or you got your hands full with the cards? We really want to perfect trading cards and, and the systems we have in place for those. But we feel like we're getting close. Uh, we obviously had to make a huge shift once the departure with eBay happened a couple of months ago. And uh, there's been a little bit of debt changing a lot of operations, accounting, those kind of things and, and systems. We have uh, a specific market that we have our eyes set on for the near future. And we'll probably be making a play at that market soon. You have a similar proposition to what Heritage had when they moved into cards, you know, mm -hmm. sports cards from coins. They already had a, a strong list of active buyers mm -hmm. that they had fully vetted. And that's something that I don't know if that was a problem with eBay. But my understanding is you've had to really vet the high-end bidders. Totally. Otherwise, you can get burned. And there's limits to what eBay can do. Sure. Uh, but on your own platform, you can do whatever you want to. Yeah, we have all the control now. And that's the most important thing. If something goes wrong, we don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. As far as unpaids and buyer vetting, we're in charge of all that. We're happy to have that in our control now. Because like I said, we control the whole process. And wealthy people like nice stuff. <laughs> they do. They do. And hey, look, a lot of wealthy guys and gals, they love sports. I think that's why we're seeing some of these record prices in cards too. I do think that memorabilia, if you think about some of these game use patch cards, what they're selling for, some of these game use memorabilia pieces, and we don't even specialize in memorabilia at all. You could uh, buy the whole uniform. I'm telling you, I think that the memorabilia is still cheap. You talk about a game use Curry jersey versus RPA and all this. It's just... His just game used memorabilia in general, in my opinion, is undervalued and okay. I don't own any of it. We don't really sell it. That's just my honest opinion. I think the stuff in time is going to go. The other metric, people don't want to hear this, but instead of buying the autograph card of the player, you could buy the player for a day. You could say, <laughs> I'm going to give you X dollars. Just come to my house and sign for me. That's true. $50,000 or $100,000 and just crank out signatures. You could do um, that. Yeah, you really could. I actually, maybe couldn't because I think they'd get wind of it. But okay, if somebody came up to you on the bidder side, because mm -hmm. I, I assume you're talking to consigners as well as people that are bidding. Some of them are the same people, but say somebody says, I've got $100,000 to spend. They come to you and they say, Jesse, you're a smart guy. You're handling a lot of great stuff. I've got $100,000 to spend. What do you advise me to do? Buy one card or two cards or 10 cards? Where is the investment grade But somebody that's wealthy enough that this is their alternative? It's a percentage of their portfolio. They're not, they're not getting overextended. 
So are you pushing them to one card that's a glamour card or building a collection? It's a great question. And it really depends on, it, look, it's like it's any stock wealth manager, right? They're going to ask questions. It's not a simple you know, answer for everybody. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. How long is your hold? What do you like? Do you want higher risk, lower risk, right? Are we talking modern stuff, vintage stuff? So there's questions that have to be asked to these guys. I've done this all the time. But guys ask me, hey, I've got money to spend. What should I buy? But really, you have to dive deeper than that. And you got to get more information from these guys before you can lead them in the right direction. That's well, obviously the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want like no, no, an no, actual no, no, that's, that's an excellent answer? But if I've got a 10 year horizon and my guy's vertical many and I don't need the money. Okay. I would buy good quality Clemente rookies in, it just depends on how many cards you want. So that's another question, right? Do you want to buy 10 cards? Do you want to buy five? Do you want to buy 50? If you believe that Clemente, because there's a corollary when cards set record pricing for low pop cards, usually the cards below follow, right? They usually follow to an extent. Trick, trickle up. They trickle up. I had one of my clients that asked me like a little over a year ago, that question. And I gave him an example. I said, I'd buy Henderson's. I said, a Henderson 10, they're low pop. I think they're cheap. And I think the nines will perform really well if you buy a quantity of nines. That's what they did. And they did really well on them. But it's that kind of thing. Like those lower end cards, you find that big delta between one grade and the next from a pricing perspective. And you buy that lower grade because that delta can shrink once that sale happens and move up more. And you get actually a better ROI when you buy that cheaper card then when you buy the more expensive card. Anytime the multiple gets exaggerated, you've got an opportunity to, totally. to, to play that. Taking the Ricky Henderson, which is what a lot of listeners can relate to, especially yeah. he's a little bit more retired, but a more modern player. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a grade below which you would say, hey, that's not investment? 80 tops was not a, a high quality control. No, those cards were brutal from a condition perspective. Yeah. And that specific card, I wouldn't buy anything less than an eight. Probably. I don't know. That's just me personally. I, there's not a lot of investment advice behind that statement. That card, I know nines are fairly affordable. Eights are even more affordable. I wouldn't personally love to own any sevens. That's just me. It's a threshold. What, what if a seven was one-tenth the price of an eight? That could be a good investment. So that's why I was saying that's a personal thing for me. But you got to look at those deltas, right? So it, it takes someone who really wants to be successful. I'm not going to have all the answers on every card. I'm not a walking encyclopedia. I'm not a walking price guide. So they have to do research. It's, it's just like anything. You can take blind shots at the stock market. You can take blind shots in the card market and you might get some hits, but it takes some research to really learn certain theories where you want to invest. You do have an answer. You may not have the answer that you can guarantee this is the perfect answer. <laughs> I can never guarantee anything. <laughs> because you're in sales and you're saying, I can help you. I would much rather under-promise and over-deliver than the opposite. I feel like over-promising and under-delivering creates more problems. And it's a short-term game, not a long-term game. And that's not what we do here at PWCC. We're, we're in it for the long haul. And so that's how all my sales guys are trained. I would rather tell a guy, if someone brings us a card, hey, what do you think this is worth? Tell them what you truly believe and be conservative versus trying to get the card and telling them it's worth more, trying to match what maybe the competition might tell them it's worth. And then it sells and you're disappointed. And that's not good business in my opinion. Okay. I had a famous discussion with Rob Veris, Burbank Sports Cards, uh -huh. many years ago and uh, invited him to move his business to Dallas. Okay. Not completely free rent, but I had some special perks that would have been a better deal for him than being in Burbank, California. If somebody made you an offer to leave Oregon, to come to Texas, some very preferred real estate deal, could you even consider it? Because it seemed like Oregon is so much a part of your yeah. business proposition. So Rob had other reasons that he didn't do it or couldn't do it, but he said, ah, oh, that's really tempting. But PWCC, you can't afford to move, can you? Probably not because of the sales tax aspect. So, but Jesse Craig, thanks for being on. Uh, thanks, listeners. We'll be back again tomorrow with another 
daily podcast episode. So that's it. Thanks. Thank you. Jesse, thanks. And if you think of some questions, like I said, I, I'm on my way toward a thousand episodes. People say, why'd you do that? I said, because I can. <laughs> I'm just, I don't answer to anybody. I, I don't even have employees to answer to, which was symbiotic. But anytime you have a whole bunch of employees, they have opinions and they're sure. good. Sure. But yep. uh, I, I have no employees and I'm unemployable. Like I said, <laughs> it's a good place to be. I'm, I never am late for dinner with my awesome wife. So that's I, awesome. I love it. I've tried PWCC and I, I I wasn't displeased. It's just, I think it's a niche for me to be knowledgeable about the industry aware. Like I said, I, I just thought I could read about it or I could just send in some cards. Sure. You remember a lot more when it's your own cards. When you go through it. Yeah, exactly. And all this shill bidding stuff. I thought, oh, I'm so tempted to bid on my own stuff because some of the stuff went way above what I thought, mm-hmm. but others, and it wasn't your fault. It just... It, I never got a second bidder or I never got some, mm. more than two people that really knew that this was really a tough thing, but it was a non-mainstream thing. Yeah. It, and that's, and that's where I would mistake, but I would have rather bought it back. But yeah. That technically is considered show bidding yeah. probably by eBay. Yeah, it, it, it is. You and I, but it was painful to watch it go for, I would have bought it back at a multiple of that price. Yeah. The man in-